This is always my favorite time of year to be talking about tech. We've got brand new iPhones, and I'll be talking to Sebastian DeWitt for a bunch of the episode, who's the developer of Halide, a amazing iPhone camera app. Um, and, and we're going to mostly be talking about the iPhone 12 cameras. So uh, first, I, I just wanted to kind of talk about the phone overall, um, just some of the, the basic impressions as, as it's been announced now. And you know what? I think this is... Obviously, it's going to be a good one. The, the thing The thing was... Going into it with the iPhone 11, it was already so far and away my favorite iPhone. I, I, and of course it is. I mean, they, they have been getting better as you would expect, right? Just like every other brand of cell phone out there, all the manufacturers are getting better each year. Apple's not alone in this. But I was really starting to get to the point where I, I don't know how much more I could ask for. Um, and I'm still pretty satisfied with what I saw. So obviously one of the big things that Apple wants us to be talking about is 5G. Actually, in the segment with Sebastian, I realized didn't come up once. I didn't even think of it. I I kind of forgot. Um, And you know what? 5G is going to matter later. Uh, Apple, and especially Verizon, who they had on stage for a weird amount of time during the keynote, uh, really wants to tell us that it is here now. 5G is going to make a real impact. I was just looking at the 5G coverage map in my area around Calgary, and it looks pretty good, I think. Um, Although I, I don't know quite how to interpret it exactly. I mean, it looks like it exists, but will it actually be fast? So I'll be trying that out soon, hopefully. Uh, My iPhone is pre-ordered. Hopefully I'll have one to test in the near future. Um, Honestly, 5G isn't even on my mind that often. I'm mostly going off of what other tech writers are talking about it because I want to talk about it when it arrives. Uh, I don't have a lot to say until I'm able to actually experience it. So more to come in the future on 5G. Uh, what will matter a lot more in terms of speed is that A14 processor. That is what's really significant and exciting and is going to affect really everything that the phone does. A lot of the speed of these iPhones is kind of invisible to us. It's not all about just changing between apps or startup times or uh, you know refreshing your web browser. This turns into subtle, interesting uh, behaviors that you don't necessarily notice. Like, I know that one, I can't remember which one, but I think it's one of the pro models now has a smaller battery, but the same expected battery life. That happens by having a faster processor. So it's able to just, the efficiencies basically get passed down to the rest of the system. And uh, I do want to touch on that experience with the Apple Watch Series 6, since I haven't been able to uh, review it properly yet, that it has had such better battery life than the 5, uh, which I absolutely didn't expect. I mean, it's much brighter outside, like visibly brighter, but it is lasting much longer too. I'm getting a full day and a half out of it, whereas I'd really, I'd really max out at a day. If I wore my watch all day and slept in it with the 5, it was dead in the morning and I had to immediately plug it in. I can wear the 6 all day long, sleep with it, and get through most of another day. I will have to plug it in eventually. I can't go full two days, but it's getting pretty close to two days, which is amazing. And I I think it feels like more than Apple even promised. I wasn't expecting that. And apparently that's all coming from processor improvements and efficiency. And that's what they've been focused on with the A14. So there's going to be surprises in how this works for us. Um, Some of the stuff we know that it's been able to do is in terms of photography, uh, the things like the way that Apple's going to be doing RAW, which we talked about in this episode, um, is really enabled by the faster hardware. We just couldn't be doing it without it. Um, And uh, another thing I want to be sure to touch on is MagSafe, which I think is visually one of the things that probably jumped out to a lot of average viewers. Like You can just see how it's working. And we all have this brand recognition built up for what... Because MagSafe was one of the best little detail features in our MacBooks for so long. And I think we all miss it now that it's gone. So seeing them bring back that branding got us all excited. Uh, I will say, you know, to some extent, they're exploiting that those warm, fuzzy feelings we have about the old MagSafe, because this is not the same thing. It's not going to save your iPhone if you trip over the cable. It's going to be used in a completely different way. Um, You know, it's just kind of using the goodwill that that MagSafe brand has uh, to have a sort of similar, you know, charging with a magnet. It's not completely undifferent. Is it called MagSafe on the Apple Watch? Actually, I don't think it is, but it's the same idea. Um, The one thing I was thinking of that this will be really interesting for in photography context is things like tripods, uh, where you're able to just snap it on and keep it in place. 
I don't expect these magnets to be so powerful that you can use them for something like a pop socket. Uh, you know, Mike Hurley was talking about that on upgrade. Um, you know, could use a, a handle kind of like a pop socket on your phone. I, I don't believe it. Um, you know, we'll, we'll find out soon, but I think that'd be a little too much to ask. And, uh, what else was brand new? I don't know. I'm sure there's lots, but let's jump right into the camera stuff. Cause that's the funnest thing to talk about. So anyway, here is that conversation with Sebastian iPhone 12 has been announced and I couldn't ask for anyone better to talk to than Sebastian DeWitt. Welcome back, Sebastian. It's good to be back. Thanks for having uh, me. Yeah. I'm glad we could chat about this some more. So context for listeners, Sebastian works on one of the premier photography apps on the iPhone, uh, Halide, which is a camera app that helps you shoot photos in RAW. I think initially the reason I even like really like know about you other than, you know, you have an app, but you do these great write-ups where you really break down the new features each year of the iPhone. You did it again this year as usual. Um, and I just really, I always appreciate that kind of contribution back to the, uh, the, the, the world of photography because developing for it, you kind of get this different context than people that are just shooting with their iPhone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's sometimes you come across some pretty surprising things, sometimes pleasant, sometimes unpleasant, but it's always pretty fun to get into the nitty gritty. And it's it's nice to see that people also really appreciate <laughs> digging into that. So thanks. Yeah. And we're right now at this moment, we're kind of at the in between of uh, we don't have I mean, I, I don't I can't speak for everybody, but uh, mm -hmm. not many people if anybody out there has phones in their hands. So we're still speaking from what we've seen and, you know, just kind of what, um, what, what we know in the media world, but I'm not drawing too much from personal experience yet. Um, hopefully that'll be coming extremely soon. Cause, uh, I don't know about you, but I just pre-ordered an iPhone 12, like just the regular 12, <laughs> just, uh, just to, to, to make sure that something was here as soon as possible. Yeah. Um, but, so how, what time did you have to get up this morning then? So I actually was able to get it at a kind of normal time. I, it's kind of a long story, but there is supposed to be one store was going to offer PS5 pre-orders this morning at three in the morning, my time. So I already woke up at 3 a.m. and realized I was off by one day. The PS5 orders are tomorrow morning, so I'm going to have to do it again. And then oh, I slept man. through and then I slept through my iPhone alarm. <laughs> but <laughs> but fortunately, I was still able to get it about two hours later. So uh, I should have gotten up at five my time. And I did wake up at like 7.30 and I was still able to uh, pre-order it then. So they weren't sold out. I actually, I snoozed my alarm twice. And <laughs> then I was like, oh no, I shouldn't snooze this alarm. And then I, I just, I was basically in the Apple store app on, in my bed. And it still said would be ready in a minute or something. And it was 10 minutes past five in the morning here in San Francisco. And I'm like, oh, I guess there was not really that much of a rush. Yeah, so yeah. I got them. So. I think part of the, we're, we're getting to the point where, people i think there's less of the massive hype than there used to be for for iphone announcements and at first while i was watching this keynote i had a feeling uh especially in terms of the camera that it was like okay maybe maybe it's not a huge jump this year maybe this is one of those little spec bump years and it wasn't until it was over that i looked back and kind of realized wait there was actually a lot in there and this could be this could be a pretty big camera year um and I don't know why I didn't, it sort of like snuck up on me. I think the structure of the keynote of how they broke it up into so much of the camera news was early in the iPhone 12 segment. And then all of the pro information was much later. And um, I think that led to a lot of confusion. There was a, like on my YouTube video, I got a lot of questions of people saying, thanks for clearing this up. Cause it took me a whole day digging through um, specs to, to really figure out which cameras had exactly which features. Yeah. And it seemed like that was kind of, the universal take there was um there's more camera segmentation if you will than in previous years where even like one subcategory or like one model of the iphone 12 pro has a different camera than the regular 12 so i don't think it's strange that people are getting a little confused about that yeah no i don't blame them and i'd also say it makes it it makes it less easy to talk about like it you it takes longer just to have the basic what's happening with the iphone camera conversation but yeah, I'd, I'd like to have that now. Like, well, let's touch on some of the general iPhone features towards the end. But what I'd love to do is just break down what really matters about the iPhone 12 camera updates this year. What's going to be the most significant that people are going to see? I think it's so interesting to, to, to look at that because you saw on the Android side of things in the last year, especially it's been like focusing a lot on like that 
paper spec, you know, looking at 108 megapixels or big zoom lenses. And Apple is flawless at flexing their silicon muscle. And so they just, they show just like Google does to some extent, who has been also using like similar hardware or the same hardware for a few generations of their Pixel phones, that the biggest advancements can be found in new and more powerful chips and what those chips and what the software does with the output of these cameras. There have been improvements in the hardware, like the lenses are different. There's even new sensors in some iPhone 12s, but the real big leaps are coming from that new A14 chip and all those really cool computational photography that they do with it. Sometimes I realize that there are still people out there that are, are looking at the spec sheets and seeing things like the fact that all of the cameras on iPhone still have 12 megapixels and seeing that as some kind of proof that like, uh, it's too bad that iPhone cameras are still behind. Um, <laughs> and I don't know if those people are even worth addressing, uh, but m- maybe just to, t- to take two seconds, to, uh, if anybody ha- hasn't already run into this in, in their own lives, like the big megapixels in a small sensor are just, they're not important they're not necessarily meaningless. Sometimes it can have an effect when you decide to upscale it, but it's not, it is, it is by far not the most important thing. Those, those images do not, um, are not very usable at their, you know, 100 or or 50 megapixel sizes. And I feel like one of the most successful and significant marketing things Apple has ever done is their shot on iPhone billboard campaign, because it's been going for years. Um, I assume it's still going. I haven't seen any very recently, but it it's just this proof to everybody that you can refer back to in your memory. You're like, oh yeah, you can blow up iPhone photos as big as you want and they'll look great. You know, the proof, it's just the proof is right in front of you just by seeing the image. Totally. And when did that start? I mean, that started several iPhone generations ago. Yeah, it's been years. This episode is brought to you by Lexar and most importantly, their new CF Express Type B cards which are very exciting. If you haven't already seen these, they are ridiculously fast cards that are required for certain features on new cameras like the Canon R5, which is my absolute favorite thing that I've been playing with lately. haven't had time to talk about it on the show yet, but I've been loving it. Um, I I haven't bought any of them yet, if anybody's wondering. I haven't bought an R6 or an R5. I hope to uh, review the R5 soon, so stay tuned. But things like being able to record in, you know, 4K 120 frames per second or 8K RAW, you can't do that without a crazy fast card like these Lexar CF Express Type B cards. And it's not just unlocking these extra features. These are also just great to use for photography just because of their faster read-write speeds. It's insane that it can transfer up to 1,750 megabytes per second, and the write speeds are 1,000 megabytes per second. And that's just blows my mind like those are like super fast hard drive speeds so you're able to work in any environment way faster than you could with traditional media like sd cards i mean sd cards cf cards they will never get that fast and working with basically the fastest media available just makes your whole workflow faster an example is i've been using the lexar cfast 2.0 cards on the c200 to shoot raw and i've actually just been doing my transcoding directly from the card i load up all the footage into resolve and then i transcode transcode the raw into ProRes files from the card. So I never even download the raw files and it's super fast. I really appreciate that extra speed. So definitely check out the link in the description for the new Lexar cards. And thanks again to Lexar for supporting the show. What do we care about? So the first thing, basically, I just want to make sure everybody understands like, you know, what, what do some of these specs mean? Um, Because I'm not going to assume that everybody listening completely when you just... You know, sometimes when you hear a camera spec, it doesn't resonate if you don't use that terminology on a daily basis. So uh, the first thing that they hit on, which I think you and I know why it's significant, is that there is a new lens on the stand. Well, I'll call it like the the normal uh, camera of the iPhone, the wide angle lens, which is equivalent to 26 millimeters. Right. That's kind of like a pretty typical street photography lens is what we're used to on iPhones. And it's now gotten faster. Uh, it went from 1.8 to 1.6. Am I getting that right? Yeah, which is actually, it sounds like very little. Uh, you know, it's like a, a, a decimal point. But that's that's a lot. That's about, uh, that's almost like a third more light that it will be able to collect. Yeah, it'll be visible. Like, um, I, I heard somebody do the math and, and got it to uh, a 50th. Uh, so if previously you were shooting at 150th of a second, now that same environment you'll be shooting at 180th. So it's not wow. life-changing, but it's 
visible. Like you, you will be able to see this difference. Um, and that's great. So that, that specific spec, which is, um, I think what a lot of people came home with, like that was the one thing that was the most clearly different is one of those bumps, right? That's, I think the, the thing that made me feel like, okay, it got a little bit better. Um, yeah. what I'll jump straight to the most exciting part, which is <laughs> the, the iPhone 12 pro max. Um, and there we not only have that faster lens, but we've also got a significantly bigger sensor. It's big. It's very big. <laughs> it's 47% bigger, I think. And if you actually look at the keynote, they have this sort of cutaway where they show some of the, I'm sure we'll talk that, about that in, in detail a little bit later, but they have a new type of optical image stabilization on that sensor as well. And in that sort of cutaway diagram where they show what it looks like on the inside of the iPhone when you peel away, you know, the back, you see just how much larger it is than the other sensors. And it, it, it's, it's a big boy. It's, it's large. <laughs> the the sensor is always like the most significant, or often the most significant thing affecting things like uh, noise and often, the, you know, even the ability to produ- like reproduce good dynamic range and everything like sensor size can have such a big impact. Uh, what I'm really curious to see is if it also has a significant effect on things like depth of field in real world use. Like I could imagine it start being a thing where you're so used to everything always being in focus on a smartphone. And now that that might be enough of a jump plus the faster lens that things start really getting blurry when you aren't used to them being blurry using a smartphone. Yeah, I was actually briefly thinking about that. It's really cool you brought that up because at some point in the presentation, they're talking about how the Pro now gets a LiDAR um, sensor. And one of the things they mentioned is how it can help with autofocus because it can sense where things are in 3D space, and which make you, makes you think, well, surely there's not that much focus hunting with a, a lens that small and a sensor that small. But I guess the sensor being bigger, you might actually have situations where you unexpectedly get real depth of field, none of that portrait effect depth of field. So yeah, right. Yeah, that could have some yeah. pretty serious And the distance of a centimeter or an inch could mean in or out of focus for a portrait that isn't using portrait mode. Um, that's just, yeah. you know, it has real optical optical depth of field, which we're not used to on phones at all. So um, hitting more features. Uh, so that was another differentiator is now it's got LiDAR, which I feel like when they announced LiDAR on the iPad Pro, so that was actually the last time we talked. Um, and you had some pretty exciting ways of looking at LiDAR. But I feel like they didn't have as complete of a LiDAR story for typical consumers. They were really focused on the future of augmented reality. And here they spelled it out in terms of autofocus. Like that was the, you know, we're not just putting it on here as a spec. The reason it'll benefit you, the photographer, is you'll have great autofocus, especially in completely dark environments. Um, I don't know. You know more about LiDAR than than me. How significant is this going to be? Yeah, I mean, for us, even though we built a little proof of concept app for it on the iPad Pro, we didn't see it as being hugely significant for photography, especially because a lot of people think, oh, it's it's like you can 3D scan objects now because, you know, they think it works kind of like the front-facing true depth sensor, which maps your face. But the resolution of the LiDAR is more like meant to map something like a room, for instance. Like it really works on like kind of like a more coarse um, room scale level. And it really only maps very accurately if you keep moving it because there's a lot of space between these sort of dots that it projects. So I'm guessing it'll work really nicely with Apple's crazy secret sauce where it blends in, you know, the feed from all those three cameras and like the parallax between those. And all of that is going to get fused and there's going to be some machine learning thrown on top and that's going to figure out what your scene looks like. Um, I foresee that largely it will still be like augmented reality applications or like Mm -hmm. stuff that is in movement. Um, but it is really cool that they seem to use it for autofocus at night, um, helping night mode, probably that kind of stuff. Um, I'd be really curious to see what other applications we'll see out of it, um, or if it's actually different than the iPads lidar. I would expect it's the same module. But a lot of the questions I got about it were how it might apply to portrait mode, and I didn't hear them say anything about that. So I think a lot of people were just imagining it, especially based on how the digital visualization of LiDAR was presented in the keynote, where it showed, you know, you were taking a photo of people, and then it presented the whole 3D world around them. And everybody's like, oh, that's how we're going to get our portrait mode scans now. 
I think yeah. from what they said that portrait mode is still going to work the same way it always has. Yeah, they, they, there's one little tidbit on the website which details that portrait mode is better because of improvements in the machine learning and improvements on the A14. And if you look at the way the dots are projected on that couple in that really beautiful computer animation they made um, during the presentation, that's not what the dot pattern on the iPad Pro's LiDAR array looks like. That looks much more like what a true depth resolution is. Mm-hmm. So I'm really curious to see if that's really like, if that is really like maybe they changed it or uh, if that's how it's used or if that was more of a way to kind of symbolically show how it helps in the sense that it does help the camera figure out like, hey, this couple is quite in front and that gas station behind them or whatever it was, the diner is far, far away. And then your camera can figure out, you know, which pixels to blur and which ones. All right. To, uh, so, well, let's let's measure all these things. Let's quantify it. So out of, uh, you know, one to 10, how hyped should we be for LiDAR as a photographer? Um in, in 2020, a, not for like in 2020. Uh, wait, not say, tw- yeah, not 2025 future, features. Um in 2020, uh I would I would give it a three on the three out of ten on the hype scale. All right, all right. Um for still photography. It's it's just not going to do that much for us. But that also that is dependent with a bit big asterisk on how much we'll need this autofocus and how much in your daily life you struggle with autofocus and your iPhone. If you feel like it's always getting your focus wrong, then good news. It's probably never going to get focus wrong again. Um, and mind you, the effects we have, like in photography, we're very used to seeking. You know, you have that phase detects autofocus. Something goes out of focus, in focus, out of focus, because it tries to find what when it, when is it sharp. Mm-hmm. LiDAR will just eliminate that, much like it did with augmented reality. If it knows how far away something is, there's no scanning or seeking necessary. It just nails it. So that's kind of cool. So yeah, uh, I, I'm kind of with you on that. I'd I'd put it a little higher at four because uh, I could imagine it being significant for basically if you take photos indoors a lot of the time, I bet it'll have a pretty nice benefit. But um, let's let's okay, let's look at what probably is the most hype. Going back to the the larger sensor, how do we how do we scale that? So um, this is for anybody thinking about willing to carry around the biggest phone that there is, the biggest iPhone 12. Uh, in the Pro Max, and you've got the big sensor, you've got the new 1.6 lens. Um, how? What's the hype scale for the for the sensor? That my hype scale for a sensor is very high. Um, we have not had like a sensor. High or a... <laughs> Ooh, this is like <laughs> goes to eleven. I think when it comes to the hype for the sensor, I'm I'm at a I'm at an eight or a nine because yeah. we have not seen a jump in sensor size and quality like this in an iPhone in a very long time. And now, like I mentioned, the computational photography side is so strong that we don't know just how that's going to respond to so much more high quality data. So one part is like, oh, the sensor is bigger. Cool. But this is not like going from a crop format camera to a full frame. No, we're going to put a big brain on top of that, which is maybe going to enable way, way better processing. So I'd be really curious to see and would not be surprised if people who are now ordering 12 pro thinking eh, it can't be that much better. Right. Might be surprised to see how big of a leap in quality it would be. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be the impression. I, I think a lot of people are going into this thinking there's less of a difference between the 12 pro and 12 pro max than there will be. And you know what, for that reason, I'm going to lower it on the hype scale. Uh, I'm going to give it, I'm going to give it a seven. I don't know. I'm just like basing it off of you. You're setting the benchmark and I'm like, I'll go high, low on uh, Sebastian's. <laughs> So I'll go just below you to a seven because of the samples that we saw so far. And I ju- I ju- in theory, the bigger sensor should make an incredible difference. And I'm wondering if it may end up only being really significant in much lower light, just because they didn't show any samples that just blew us away where, you know, there is maybe it's because they didn't want to make the other iPhones look bad. So they didn't show any side-by-sides. Um, mm. But actually that might be the whole thing. They maybe just didn't want to make the 12 look bad. So they didn't show it next to it, but I didn't see any samples where I was like, Oh wow, this is, this is a game changer. Um, and, and obviously from a larger sensor. So just the fact that, you know, in their moment of pushing this the hardest, there wasn't anything that drew my attention to some big jump in image quality i want to i want to wait and see with it at least um if it's going to deliver on what my imagination can uh, how i could see it doing i think that's a pretty good call yeah Yeah. we should stay a little bit grounded and realistic about it i will say without trying to badmouth apple that they do have pretty conservative 
um, sample photos usually. And if you see someone like Austin Mann taking mm-hmm. the cameras and, you know, he's just an amazing photographer. Last time he did that review when Night Mode first came out, there were just photos in there that I thought blew everything away that I had seen out of Apple samples. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, the real test will be getting it in our hands and seeing it like used by people, obviously. But yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, and then I guess we didn't rate the lens either. So uh, 1.6 lens, where does that sit? I'll give it a seven too. I'm excited. Sure, yeah. Healthy, healthy excitement. Same here. And you know, when I shop for real photography lenses, that's kind of how I feel about the the bump between lenses. Like uh, a good example is the 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 50 millimeter that I like to use because 50 is such an important lens to most photographers. It's like it's right in the middle. It's not quite a zoom. It's not quite a like it's an in between everything, and you can usually get a really fast 50. And for me, I choose the Sigma 1.4. Now, mm. uh, before that, I had the Canon 1.2, so I've I've played around with the 1.2 universe, but um, the sharpness, and I've also used the the new Canon 1.2, um, which is much much sharper. Um, but I still I'm willing to give up that 0.2 because um, this lens is much smaller for one thing; it's way smaller than those Canon 50s. Uh, it's always sharper uh, on the old one it was always sharper than it was at uh, the old 1.2 was at 1.4 so there's a bunch of trade-offs and it's much cheaper much cheaper so there's enough things that i'm like yeah you know the sigma to me is a better lens for my needs even though it's 1.4 now would i go to a 1.8 or a 1.6 like not so much now i want to start to try to keep it faster like 1.4 so uh, the, the point of that is just to say that um it matters but it you'll sometimes choose other attributes of the lens over just speed. So spe- speed is very significant, but it's not the most important thing. Yeah. And it's a good reminder too, to for all those people who wanted a 108 megapixel sensor and an <laughs> F0.95 lens on the latest iPhone, it would probably have a camera bump that is yeah. like the size of an Apple watch. Yeah. Just a pencil so, sticking yeah. out of the front. <laughs> Massive, which reminds me of 50 millimeter. Um, the iPhone Pro Max will not have a 52 millimeter lens. It'll have a 65 millimeter telephoto lens. Yeah, that's uh, I didn't see that coming. I was expecting the next time they would go in this direction would be adding a fourth lens, to be honest. That's what, you know, if they're going to make it longer, I thought it was like, okay, well, they're going to build up their lens array and either have another option or move towards the sort of uh, like periscope telescope. Uh, is it a per- periscopic style that um, brands like, like the Huawei, Huawei use? basically? Yeah. Where yeah, it yeah, has a mirror like, system to make it uh, longer. And, I, you know, I thought, okay, maybe eventually Apple will do that. But instead, they did this this bump. And what's the most interesting thing about it is, or I don't know if it's the most, what's very interesting about it, though, is there are trade-offs that it is a 2.2 lens, whereas the 52 millimeter is a 2.0 lens. Um, so it's going to be a little slower. Do, do you think it'll be softer? Do you think it'll be just as good but slower? I'm guessing it'll probably be fine. But just like with the old um iphones will probably in the camera app itself see it aggressively handing off to that new and improved wide sensor when the light gets a little low so in the past if you zoomed in for instance and it was like a or even still if you use night mode on your iphone 11 um or you you're just shooting in low light on your iphone 8 plus and you zoom in you might think you're using your telephoto lens but it's not if it gets too dark your iphone will just say like you know what i'll just crop the image coming out of the wide sensor because it collects so much more light and it looks look so much better that um, there's no point in even using the telephoto. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I'd be curious to see that. I, yeah. I'm excited, though. I mean, that's uh, 2.5x. Could be interesting. I'm also surprised it didn't go all the way to, like, 5x and, I don't know, computer computationally interpolate the zoom differences between, but I'm sure that's coming. Yeah, maybe it would have been f8 or something, so they couldn't uh, <laughs> go that yeah. far. But, yeah, I mean, I'm... Um... I, I do think it's kind of the right move because because of the way I've ended up using that longer lens. First of all, uh, for anybody trying to decide what they need, I always find the ultra wide much more useful. If if I'm going to give up a lens, I'm happy to give up the telephoto relative to the ultra wide. I love being able to zoom out. That's been a much bigger breakthrough to me than having the extra reach. Um, and so the the main uses I find it to be powerful for are okay so these don't really happen anymore but concerts when you you want to like zoom in and and basically do things like instagram stories and it's like look i just want to show a few moments where i'm somewhere that the thing happening isn't near me and when you zoom in the difference can be very visible at 
the type the type of image quality that you would see in an Instagram story, you know, like a web video, that difference is huge. It's it, yeah. it is night and day between the wide and the telephoto lens. But on something like a photo, like just a still, uh, you know, if you zoom in rather than move closer to the subject, you can see the the image degrade a little bit because the lens is slower. So if it's darker, it doesn't have as much light. I feel like the lens isn't as sharp generally. Um, so, you know, I don't find it very useful when image quality is the absolute priority. Uh, it's most useful when I'm just, I'm reaching as far as I possibly can, and then it is significantly better. So I think, that, you know, it'll have that further reach. Um, and I still won't use it as a, you know, when I'm really looking for the highest quality. Yeah, I think it's really interesting you mentioned that because they use a smaller sensor behind the telephoto and that has a slower aperture. Um, I find myself not using it that much, except when I'm shooting in raw and I'm just really out taking photos instead of like taking snapshots. I I tend to love it because the focal length is, you know, at a 52 millimeter. It, it kind of like puts me in a photographer's kind of mindset. And then when I look at the raw files, you can see that a lot of the noise reduction is what's making it so much softer. So the raw files are tack sharp and really nice. And, um, I'm ex- really excited to see, for that reason, what's going to come out of this lens. Well, um, I don't think the sensor about, size has changed. But. Let's talk about the Pro RAW feature then. But first, uh, where are we going to rank the telephoto? Telephoto for me, I mean, telephoto is my favorite lens. I, oh, okay. I, one of the things I've always wanted to do is like basically make a little app for myself or make a mode where I'm stuck in telephoto all the time because it makes me a better photographer. I love using it. It has a real bokeh. It has this focal length that requires you to think about framing instead of just having everything in your frame. I, th- I think it's really exciting. For most people, I don't think it's going to make that big of a difference. <laughs> yeah, I'm going I'm <laughs> so, to give it a, a five for normal people and maybe a, a six for me. Yeah, it's a seven on Sebastian scale. It's All definitely right. a four for normal people. <laughs> uh, but raw. Okay, so you are the biggest raw expert I know that uh, isn't inside <laughs> of, of Apple um, because you guys actually developed your own raw format for the previous version of Halide. You created something you called Smart Raw to deal with some of the shortcomings of shooting raw on the iPhone because there, there were li- some limitations with the way that Apple presented it to us that it sucked out a lot of the intelligent image uh processing that was happening previously uh what's how's that going to change yeah it's really interesting because that's the first thing we saw happening when the iphone 10s came around the iphone 10 already had some computational photography but then in the keynote for the iphone 10s they said hey here's this thing called smart hdr it's going to blow your mind it makes all images better there was a whole you know sort of gate what do you call it selfie gate or like face smoothing gate or whatever it's a whole scandal because it for, did for aggressively smoothen <laughs> yeah. for like a month. Yeah, it was yeah. a storm in a teacup. But it, and then it became apparent that in the raw files, you didn't see that. But the raw files did look a lot worse all of a sudden because what the iPhone was doing is doing a lot of that pipeline, a lot of that computational improvement purely on that JPEG. Mm. And um, that required us to, to in, 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 our, in our app highlight, to, to really create a different way to expose raw files and get the best quality out of it. Now, what Apple's been promising with this new pro-raw format, um, according to their website, um, which, by the way, is also limited to the 12 Pro. So you're not getting it if right. you have a 12, yeah, 12 or an 11 Pro, Pro, Pro or an 11. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, you're not going to get it. Uh, it's only for the 12 Pro and the 12 Pro Max. Yeah, uh, but it says on the website that it's going to get some of those smart that smart data and bundle it with your raw. So you don't just get the raw, but also all the things that the camera brain would have done, and that maybe would allow you to choose which one of those parts you want in your final file. It sounds pretty exciting. I mean, I think it could be pretty significant. And like going back to, I've seen quite a bit of anger out there at. Um, the fact that it seems like a software limitation, which Apple typically doesn't do when it comes to the iPhone cameras. It's like if, the, if you're limited on one of the smaller cameras, it's because of hardware. And I think because Apple didn't say anything about it, everybody thought like, oh, well, this is software because we don't see a hardware difference. Um, what I've been hearing since then is there's a pretty good chance that is because of the additional RAM on the pro models, which Apple never talks about RAM. Um, they just, for some reason, wanted to kind of be a secret. Um, I don't know why, like, because they go on and on about, uh, you know, how many neural engine cores there are and things like that. They don't mind getting into certain specs. For some reason, RAM has always been a, a spec that they've just avoided talking about, but there is more yeah. RAM in the pro models. 
And so there, that could be the hardware reason for it to be different. I'll take it one step further. I know for a fact that that must be it. Right. And the reason I'm saying that is because um, we're on the cusp of really, maybe by the time you're hearing this, we've already released it, but we're in the cusp of releasing a really big update to our app. Um, uh, and one of the features in it um, is something we call coverage, in which we take two photos at the same time. And one of them is the raw file, and the other one is uh, JPEG. This doesn't sound all that mind-blowing, but right. you were doing that before do that, in a basic way. Yeah, and that's fine. But what you wouldn't get in that JPEG is all the all of the smart stuff. So Deep Fusion, for instance, uh, which is this really detailed extra pass that Apple does by taking lots of extra photos and combining them and like selectively enhancing detail and like going through your photo pixel by pixel to improve it and enhance it. And a lot of smart HDR stuff would not come along with that simply because your iPhone was not capable of doing that. There was just a hardware limit there, probably RAM, probably just sheer processing capacity to do all that because it takes it has to take so many photos and quickly mm -hmm. process them uh, into that final version that you could not take a raw. So our that coverage feature we have takes two photos, but there is a moment of time in between. So there's a little delay because we can't take them at the same time. Your iPhone is not capable of doing that. So the fact that the 12 Pro can do this means that there is some extra hardware in there, something that allows it to be able to take the raw data in and do all that at the same time, which so far no iPhone has been able to do. Right. Well, super interesting and and makes sense. I mean, not that I give Apple infinite credit to always do the right thing. It just felt out of character to 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 have that be the reason. So um, yeah, I don't think we're ever going to get inside verification that that's why but I, I do think that yeah as developers like you dig deeper it completely makes sense um and yeah are there any just while we're on the topic of halide too what else is, is there anything else cool coming with it because i'm I, I i'm excited to actually try it yeah i'm excited to try it on the new phones because one of the things we wanted to do we kind of took two approaches i was like okay we have an app that's pretty usable and the interface is is one of the more simpler side of all the pro camera apps out there but we wanted to just overhaul the tools in there and make them really, really crazy powerful. Like nothing, uh, like kind of just see how far we could push the iPhones to the point of, you know, um, I think one of my favorite anecdotes is our equivalent in the, in the taking videos on iPhone spaces, an app called Filmic. And when they first mm -hmm. started building Filmic, you know, they had to use ice packs on the iPhones because they started overheating. You know, you pushed hardware that hard. Mm -hmm. uh, fun stuff happens, but you get a lot out of it. And so one of the things we did is seeing if we could do zebras like you know exposure warnings and a color waveform and histograms but the problem with histograms and zebras and all these things is that they usually they look at the viewfinder as it is and they don't look at the raw file so if you were to look at a preview of your histogram and for those that aren't super advanced into photography it kind of shows you if you're losing detail in your highlights or your shadows um, you'd be looking at a false image you'd be looking not at what your raw files data would be but what your preview would be what your viewfinder sees mm -hmm. um, so in mark ii we actually have 14-bit extended xdr extended dynamic range histograms waveforms and exposure warnings uh, by streaming 20 frames per second raw files from off the sensor so we actually get raw wow, data off the sensor crazy. more than 20 times a second to to render that and if the 12 pros can do what i think they can do they might be able to do it at even higher like maybe 60 to four like 30 to 60 fps that's which awesome. is wild like there's no yeah. cameras even out there to do that so it's that'd be really really fun to test <laughs> yeah totally and i've completely run into i know that exact problem you're talking about of trying to monitor based on not the real signal which i've complained about this all the time my canon c200 does this when it records raw it only outputs at just completely unrelated signals um that are not <laughs> the the log format that you're going to output in so you're always previewing something inaccurate and it's so frustrating when you're lighting because if you turn on false color or histograms or you know all sorts of different visualization tools for your exposure they're all wrong they're completely inaccurate so getting that raw yeah. data is is absolutely vital um, especially for any kind of professional work yeah and then you know there's that thing with pro raw which apple probably also has been working on because people when they saw raw files come out of iphones increasingly as the, this image smarts have gotten better and the computational photography got better it looks kind of bad you know in comparison you don't get that hdr shadow merge in there you don't get that highlight until you know unless you know how to edit it and you have this sort of black belt in adobe lightroom or 
dark room, whatever, mm-hmm. you're, you're just not going to end up with that good of an image. So one of the first questions I always got was like, hey, how do you take these good photos? And I'm like, well, got to spend some time in, you know, on my computer on Lightroom. Right. I'd like to know that actually. What What's your recommendation for the, the best way for people to edit raw photos from their iPhone currently? What apps should they look at? You mentioned Lightroom and Darkroom. Are those the ones? Those are my personal favorites. Yeah. Um, I really like just editing them on a desktop and taking your time for it. But I also get that people don't, you know, right. want to do that. It's kind of a hassle. I end up like airdropping them round trip to my phone again to post them to Instagram, which is kind of silly. The fact of the matter is iPhone RAWs can be kind of challenging to work with because they lack that computational smart. You have to expose them right, and then you have to know what to do to edit them, uh, depending on how they were exposed. If they were a little dark, they'll get noisier. So, you know, you don't get noise reduction, for instance, um, and you don't get HDR. Um, Another little thing that we put into Mark II for that reason is um, a thing called Instant RAW. So you can actually tap on an iPhone RAW in the and it'll quickly go through a sort of machine learning based process to create what almost like a JPEG would look like, like a nicely processed image would look like. So it kind of does everything I usually do in Lightroom before I make like creative choices. It just gets it up to a level where you're like, oh, this looks really good. <laughs> nice. And it looked very different because again, it's grainy. It looks a bit more like a mm-hmm. film photo. You know, it's got grain, it's got like less HDR. So it's a bit more, it really, the process is modeled after the way like film photos are developed. But that is like kind of the start. Um, and normally if I were to do that in Lightroom or Darkroom, it would take a lot of time to fiddle with like shadows and highlights. Yeah. I find, uh, for me, like Lightroom has been the one that I go to for raw and it, it really takes an app that has considered raw and, and thought about it carefully. Cause typically, for example, like Visco is my preferred, um, just like filter app for, uh, compressed files, JPEGs and heaps. But, um, yeah. yeah, when it comes to raw, it doesn't handle them well it it kind of gets confused yeah. so uh like yeah it's, it's a, it's a good charitable job. way to put it yeah well so a lot of this feature might be changing with the the new pro rob how excited should we be um it's hard to say because they've been so tight-lipped on the details i yeah. guess we'll have to wait to see it's i noted the dreaded orange coming soon text on the apple site so it means it's probably not going to come with our phones next week right actually yeah they did say this was going to be in the fall i think right this every year there's that one feature that you have to wait for like <laughs> uh previously is sweater mode and uh yeah uh, portrait mode was like that one year or so Famously, remember the portrait mode beta? They put a beta mark on it, which Apple never does. Yeah, right. That was weird. Uh, so that's interesting. So uh, I'll, I'll jump out there and I'll say, I'll say for me, based on the percentage of times that I shoot raw, I'll give it, um, I'll give it a four because if it gets way better, um, I'll start using it on important photos that'll still be about, it'll still be only about maybe, you know, 20% of the photos that I shoot, but it'd be nice for those ones to get a lot better. But I imagine you shoot a lot more raw, so you're probably going to rate it higher. <laughs> I only shoot in raw, yeah, but the go. reason I'm going to give it a higher score, I would ding it myself because raw has been around for a while and it's going to be a huge headache for us probably to implement if it's so different as I think it is. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to give it a really high hype mark because I think we're going to look back on this moment. And there's people now already that say, I wish Apple would just go and make a camera and it would make like, you know, a right. Sony a7, but with all these smarts, and all these cool things. This is where the Apple iPhone camera has matured to the point of being a real camera. They get their own RAW format. They get their own RAW extensions and they're going to take photography seriously to the point of having RAW capture, having a RAW pipeline. That's big stuff. That's that's moving into the big yeah. league. And um, I think from here on out, we'll see them taking that pretty seriously. So let's be, I, it's, I'm hyped. I'm a seven or eight. I think they said something about it being supported on all of the lenses. Is that right? No, I don't no, think so it's it st- is. is it still on the wide or what is it on? What will it be available on? I actually don't think they said anything about that. Oh, okay. Okay. So I'm just making it up. What they did say is that deep fusion is coming to all the lenses. So That's even your front facing camera is going to get deep fusion. Right. Deep fusion and night mode is on all of them. That's what I was thinking of is that a lot of the different things are coming to all of it. So deep fusion and night mode. And I know there's one more that I'm forgetting. Um, uh, anyway, all they, they've tried to get a lot closer to parity with the telephoto, the ultra wide, the front facing and the wide lens. But, um, there's sort of some mystery specs around the ultra wide, which that was honestly the lens I wanted to be updated the most. That's what I was the most focused on because yes, like I said, I use it 
all the time. I love it. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, its image quality is the weakest of the three. And that's not surprising. It's always been hard to make extremely wide lenses. And just a reminder, if this is when they say ultra wide, they mean it like I didn't have any lenses as wide as my iPhone when I got the iPhone 11, because um, it's yeah. equivalent to 13 millimeters. And typically, like my ultra wide for my camera is a 16 millimeter. So it's very, very wide. But what that means is that some of the corners can be very soft. Sometimes you can see some chromatic aberration in there. And I'm sure they're doing a ton of work in the background to hide all those, those defects. And because of that, it really gets pretty soft all around the outside of the image. And the sensor, I assume the sensor is also a bit smaller, just like the telephoto. And that's why even the sharp parts are a little softer and, you know, a little more noise reduction. Yeah, the smallest sensor in the bunch, I think. Um, okay. And they did say in the keynote, I think, if I remember correctly, and showed off images that were sharper edge to edge. Yeah, um, this is why it's confusing, though, is they didn't say what what yeah. is making it better. They didn't name a feature. I think... And this has been telling, we have never had RAW on the ultrawide, which is the only camera, you know, I'm not sure if the front-facing one has it, but who shoots RAW with their selfie camera? But it's the only camera on the iPhone that doesn't have RAW. And I think that's because they do so much correction in software. Like, it is such a soft lens, and the edges are, there's so much distortion going on. They have to do a lot to get that image to look the way it does. Right. Um, and it's very possible that they've just been able to improve that processing with the new, you know, brawn that it has. But also I wouldn't be surprised if the lens is a little retooled because it is a fixed focus design. It doesn't have any focusing parts, no moving parts in it. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, if they kind of changed it, it, it would make sense for it to be a bit sharper. So uh, hard, hard to be hyped on that one. I'm going to, I don't know. I'll give it, a, I'll give it a three because it's going to be better on a lens I love, but probably not that much better. Yeah, same, three. What else is left? So all of this, we're just like talking, I think, based on memory. I didn't, I didn't print up a, a list in front of me. So what, what else are we? Oh, you know what? I, you know what I can't miss because it could end up being really significant is, is if we can just talk about video in general for a second, which uh, you know, mm -hmm. I know you're mostly a photo guy, but I'm sure you can appreciate that it, it could be really significant that we are now getting 10, not only 10-bit video, but also uh, it's able to on the fly master to Dolby Vision uh, HDR. And yeah. I think there's parts of this that it's, I don't know, I feel like it's hard to know how significant this really will be because the, the Dolby Vision thing, um, you know, I'm not sure how much of it's going to be marketing and how much of it's going to be real yet. Uh, it could be something where we look back at our old videos and we're like, wow, that was all terrible compared to this new proper <laughs> HDR stuff. Um, but it could also still be a situation where like, okay, look, it's still a phone. Um, and, you know, I think it was similar when we went from 1080 to 4K. It did get better, but we don't look at our 1080 footage as garbage because the 4K still looks like it came from the same camera. You know, it's it's bigger, but it's not miles better. It's not like shooting on a, on a Red or an Alexa. It's an interesting flex, right? I think Marquez Brownlee in, in his early impression videos said yeah. something to the effect of, I would have loved to have seen that higher refresh rate screen on there. But then people will argue, well, normal people don't care about that kind of stuff. But then I could stop, you know, someone on the street here and say like, hey, does your phone have 10 bit Dolby Vision HDR video recording? And I'm not sure which at which word their eyes would glaze over. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How early would they tune out? And I mean, that, that's yeah. the thing is, even for me, like I work in commercial video and I don't worry about mastering an HDR. It's really hard to master good HDR. Um, it, even do just doing it isn't that technically difficult, like just to output something as HDR, but to make it look great is actually really challenging and usually takes a professional eye and understanding a complex manual pipeline. So if they're going to be able to do it on the fly and still have it look natural and good, that's that's pretty great. But um, I don't have a, a sense of how much better it'll look because I haven't even been able to adopt that workflow for my professional stuff. And again, as a reminder to see how much this, these cameras are capable of, they'll probably shoot like HEIC, the, the image format they capture now, the still image format is capable of 10-bit color. Um, but the sensor is 14-bit, so the RAWs are too. Mm. Uh, that's a lot of more color that you know they can sense. So there's still right. heaps of headroom there too. It's pretty cool. Well, yeah. So that's the that is the part that I'm more excited about is the 10 bit video. And 
I mean, this yeah. was a huge addition to all of the mirrorless hybrid cameras this year. So the A7S three and the Canon R5 and R6. And, you know, Panasonic has had it for a little while, but uh, it, it was really significant to see that in some of the most popular hybrid video cameras because it just makes a world of difference when you're trying to grade any footage with a lot of dynamic range. You know, like if there's a lot of color adjustments going there, you're shooting in log, you kind of need 10-bit for it to look good. Otherwise, the colors just totally break up. And that only happened to bigger cam- to a lot of big cameras this year. Um, previously, it was mostly cinema cameras. So the fact that it's coming to iPhones the same year as hybrid mirrorless cameras is really impressive to me. And I, I really hope this also means that I'm going to be able to color adjust and-, and grade my iPhone videos a lot further. Yeah, so there's a good question. We've got ProRAW on the way. Do you want the, the new iPhones to, you know, <laughs> yes, maybe the iPhone 14, 413 could come with, a, with, a, with, with Apple Log? For sure, yeah. I, I need Apple Log. Yeah. So that is in Filmic Pro, and I dabbled with it. And the thing, the only thing about Log is that on the iPhone is I feel like Apple is already just doing such a good job of extracting the HDR information that they can from that sensor right now that I don't, I don't like, I don't know if you can pull that much more out of Log, but um, I, sh- I should do some tests when it shows up. And and also, I'm I'm also curious if it will, we will be able to perceive actual more dynamic range because while I was watching the keynote, I actually was confused at first when they said Dolby Vision HDR, I was thinking, oh, it's going to record in HDR whereas, because they had been, okay, this is a little confusing, a bunch of uh, letters throwing at you, but um, Smart HDR was always available for photos and they called the additional dynamic range in video, they called that extended dynamic range. They didn't call it HDR. So now yeah. they said Dolby Vision HDR is coming. I'm like, oh, so now it'll shoot the same dynamic range as photos, but that's not what it means. Um, anyway, this is all, this is all confusing. If it's confusing to me, it's confusing to somebody else out there. Um, but I'm just curious, <laughs> like, will, will it look like there is more dynamic range? It'll be really cool to put that to the test or see what other apps like Filmic can do with it. I'm going to give it a seven. I think this could be big. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. And again, another one, one way of saying like, hey, this is us entering the big leagues. This, this, is, this is pretty serious. People like to joke about, okay, what professionals actually use an iPhone? And that, that comment comes up all the time. And it's like, okay, professionals don't use the iPhone as the, to shoot the campaign typically. But first of all, there's a lot of different professionals, including journalists that really will use their phone for things that get published in magazines and newspapers. That absolutely happens. Um, so remember that there's more than one kind of professional out there. But every single professional photographer I know shoots on an iPhone or uses an iPhone as their primary phone. So when they're capturing casual yeah. photos, it's with an iPhone. Like, uh, I, I, know, I don't know if there's a way for Apple to express this in the marketing, but you know, when photographers say that their prim- primary device is an Android, it's usually a sponsorship. I, you know, I, just, I don't know any pros that choose Android phones over iPhones, so... Yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. And also, you know, when cell phones started gaining cameras, everybody was making fun of it. And it's like, who needs a camera with them all the time? Man, and now I, we're in the middle of a global I, pandemic and we're yeah. all working or go, taking school from home with one of the many cameras in our phones. I still see <laughs> so comments today from my video this week of people saying, aren't these just a phone? Like, why are you so excited about the cameras? This is supposed to make phone calls. I'm like, <laughs> what year is this? Are people still thinking? Oh, it blows my mind. Yeah. Um, anyway, I know you had a, a hard stop and you got to uh, go out there and launch your app in the next 48 hours or a couple days or whatever it is. So uh, get back to it. It's a crazy time. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't wait to see it. Thanks again for making the time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it was a pleasure to be on again, Tyler. Thanks a lot. That's great. I'm so glad to have Sebastian back on. We were supposed to meet up when I was in Amsterdam because he was there. There was overlap. He was there at the same time uh, that we were there. And I was very excited to chat with him about what they're working on with Halide. And it just didn't work. Just timing didn't happen to happen uh, work out. So that's too bad. But now we got to catch up. So uh, yeah, I'm excited to chat with him more once Halide 2.0 comes out. Uh, you guys will be seeing that in the App Store soon. I wanted to follow up on a few general photography and camera topics that I've been talking about or teasing, uh, both on the show and in YouTube videos. Uh, I just don't want to leave you guys hanging forever. Uh, so one of the things is the C70. That's something a camera that I was very hyped about, and I know a lot of other people are as well. Uh, unfortunately, there still isn't a lot more news about it. It seems like only... A few select people have had access to review units. I'm trying to find a way to get one, but um, 
I don't have one yet, so I don't know. Somebody, somebody tell Canon I want to try the C70. But uh, I did, I did place a pre-order on one, um, and I, I've been mentioning that this is so. This is the third pre-order I've placed this year. Let's see if it'll stick. Uh, the others were the R6 and the Red Komodo, um, and I, I canceled both of them. But I'm still tempted by all of these cameras. Uh, a few thoughts on you know if you're looking at something like if you're on my boat, if you're in my shoes, which not many of you are, you're looking at a, you know, for a a mid priced, but professional video camera, and you're considering C70 or the Komodo, or maybe the C200. Um, First of all, I mean, the C70 is going to be more useful in more environments. It's not above the C200. The C200 still shoots raw, will get more dynamic range and just have a lot more flexibility with the files, you know, 14 bit or uh, 12-bit, wait, no, sorry, the C200 only shoots 12-bit raw, um, but still, the, the extra bit depth of it is, wait, am I right? Okay, somebody correct me. Anyway, the the additional bit depth is very visible in those um, raw files from the C200, and you're not going to be able to grade the C70 footage as much, so I would like to keep shooting with both of them. I'd like to have them as, you know, cameras that sit side by side. It'll be really weird not being able to shoot 10-bit on the C200 still, but uh, you know that's how it is. It does look like the sensor is way cleaner on the C70. Um, low light is going to be vastly improve, improved. Um, and actually, in terms of dynamic range, I'm curious to really see what the difference is because that dual range or dual ISO, uh, dual gain sensor that they brought over from the C300 Mark III could make such a big improvement that we might actually get somewhat better performance. It is possible that it has better dynamic, better dynamic range than the C200. It, the, it's just like, you know, in the grade, will it turn out that way? What I saw in the comparisons, when you shoot raw on the C300, which again, same sensor, um, it will maintain a lot more saturation in the highlights. And it was also happening on the C200. And this is based on the tests that uh, CVP was doing. Uh, so you can watch that video on YouTube. And that matters outdoors with the sky. So often the sky is the thing that's almost blowing out, that's a little too bright. And if the uh, C70 starts becoming really desaturated, that's going to be visible and it'll, uh, I don't know, not not be ideal. That's when we're going to see the difference between 10-bit and RAW. So I don't know. I, I'm still I'm not I'm having a hard time committing to any uh, any cameras right now. The the Komodo is available. You can just order it on Red's website. Um, that makes it even more tempting. Uh, <laughs> um, but in the end, I, I do think what will probably end up happening is the C70 is just so much more versatile, having more slow motion options, which for B-roll slow motion is incredibly important. So um, that may end up winning out. Um, I have had the R5 for a little while to test out, and it's been really wonderful. Um, if I haven't mentioned it on this show before, it is it is now the best stills camera that I've ever worked with. It it just the the files are perfect. <laughs> like there's there's really not much to complain about in terms of usability. There's some things that I I don't like that were removed from the 5d like there's a few physical controls that are less obvious especially the top menus not having um all of the direct button access that you typically had in uh the slr days or dslr days so i don't think it's a complete win switching from a 5d to an r5 there are some physical controls that were to me objectively better because you don't have to enter a menu um you know I don't know. Maybe maybe I just need to go on a few more shoots with the R5 to get comfortable with it. But image quality is bang on perfect. It hasn't overheated once since I've had it. Um, And it's been really nice to just have so much flexibility in terms of slow motion options, being able to, uh, yeah, compared to the R, which I've been shooting on, that uh, I, I can just change it to any slow motion without worrying about losing different crop options or losing resolution options or or anything i just change the mode and and it'll it'll do it it's available whereas getting what well, you get used to shooting the r is like okay if i'm going to change the speed then i'm giving something up so all that to say r5 complete thumbs up. I don't think it is in any way a failure. I think the early uh, negative reviews about the video are going to taint it in a way it doesn't deserve. Um, Still excited for the C70. 
I still want a Komodo more, but that may or may not happen. And that's about it. Uh, a little a little personal news if you want to just like follow along on Instagram. We bought a house recently, so this is unrelated to anything, but it now has a Instagram account of its own. If you go to Dover underscore house, you can see our renovation project, which um, is unrelated to anything. We, we bought it as an investment, basically, so we don't plan to move into it anytime soon. We're going to completely gut it, renovate it if you want to follow along should be fun. Um, but I mean, basically it was just incredibly cheap. It's like right by where we live now. It's, it's pretty close by and was a really good deal. And we're like, you know what? We got to do it. So, so yeah, we did it. I don't know. Stay tuned for, for updates on that. Um, and what else? I mean, I don't know. That's about it. It's boring when I'm just talking to myself instead of a guest. So let's wrap up the episode. Thanks again to Lexar for sponsoring this one. And I'll see you guys soon, hopefully with an iPhone in hand.